everyone, this is Rudy Patel here with Mary McFarry again, bringing you another episode of Oral Max Facts. Today, we are going to continue our book review on Zero Bone Laws Concept by Dr. Lincoln Vicious. I hope you all had a chance to check out our previous episode. Just to summarize, we talked about tissue level implants with a polished collar should be placed above the bone crest so that only the rough surface is submerged in the bone for osteointegration. On the other hand, bone level implants have several placement options at the bone level, supracrestal, or subcrestal. In today's talk, we are going to talk about placement of bone level implants based on clinical findings or based on the implant system. So let's dive in. If an implant system does not have a platform switching, we shouldn't place it subcrestally because it doesn't have any medical mechanical advantage for displacing the micro gap. The ideal position for an implant without platform switching is one millimeter supracrestal. This helps to bring the micro gap at a safe distance from the bone, but it is important that the vertical soft tissue in these cases be on the thicker side, more than 30 millimeter, in order to avoid pre-implantitis given the exposed threat. Alternatively, if the implant system doesn't offer platform switching, we can use their tissue level implant so that the last one millimeter has a polished collar. This helps to isolate the micro gap again above the bone and decreases the bacterial micro leakage so we could have zero bone loss long-term. When the implant abutment connection is above the bone, the stability of its interface is not as important as if it was positioned more closely to the bone. And we are talking about Morse connection versus conical connection versus parallelism. Let's talk about bone level implants with platform switching. So with bone level implants with platform switching, which is what most of our implants are these days, um, they can theoretically be placed at different positions in the bone. Logically, as most implant companies will tell you, you know, because these are platform switching implants at bone level, they should be placed crestally. Well, implants with platform switching should not be placed supracrestally because the rough implant surface would come in contact with soft tissues. However, sometimes there are situations when part of the implant surface is exposed to a soft tissue. And this presents a dilemma. Is it best to place a bone graft around the implant surface? Is it best to leave it as is? Or should we graft with soft tissue or a soft tissue substitute? Rudy, I feel like this is one of the most seen clinical experiences in my hands with implant placement. You place an implant and you have about one millimeter of it exposed and typically on the bone surface. And this book really gave me an algorithm for my thinking process. Yeah, According else. <laughs> exactly. According to the zero bone loss concept, a rule of thumb is that bone augmentation is not required if all the following conditions are met. If only one part of the implant exposed, and like I said, is usually the buccal surface. As the pattern of bone resorption is usually lack of bone on the buccal plate, as we know. Can we, can I pause you there for a sure. second? Um, this usually arises when we do immediate implant placement, especially at the molar side, because what I usually find is that when I remove a, a molar, the buccal plate is usually on, uh, a little bit lower than the lingual plate, you know, mm -hmm. so 
should you place at the level of buckle plate, then you know it's submerged on the lingual side. Mm-hmm. However, now you're placing an implant much deeper than you originally planned. Economically, mm-hmm. is that going to be favorable or not? You know, a lot of questions arises when that happens. Even in the interiorly, when you place them immediately, the buckle plate is not at the same level as the lingual plate. Exactly. And we learned later on in this episode that you never want to submerge your implant more than three millimeter. So you have to find that sweet spot between the differential level of your bone buckle versus the lingual. So let's say you're, you only have one side of your implant exposed, which typically, as we just said, is on the buckle. And if that exposed amount is just one millimeter, and you have thick soft tissue, and we're talking about vertical soft tissue of at least three millimeter or at least four millimeter buccal lingually with the horizontal soft tissue thickness of two millimeters. So we're thinking about soft tissue in a 3D concept from yeah. a vertical, from a horizontal and from a buccal lingual, you wanna have that support. Yeah. So in those situations, then you don't need to bone graft because you have that keratinized tissue that is going to protect that implant from the bacterial leakage. I feel like for the oral surgeon, this book uh, opened my eyes about the importance of soft tissue um, as it's my personal weakness and I'm blindsided by it. (laughs) (laughs) So the author in this book advises soft tissue augmentation in cases of minimal and only one-sided absence of bone around the implant instead of bone augmentation. Increasing this keratinous tissue provides a greater protection from bacterial infiltration. Subcastral implant placement could also be an option to increase the vertical tissue thickness of keratinous tissue. But let me caution you, that needs to be less than three millimeters. Another indication for subcrestal placement is if the clinical crowns are short. Subcrestal placement will basically make sure that the emergence profile is not too steep and wide. But we have to keep in mind that subcrestal implants are more difficult to restore due to the difficulty with connecting the impression coping and restorations. Which implant design can be used for subcrestal placement? kind of have alluded to this earlier on, you want to make sure that the implant has a platform switching with an implant and abutment connection of conical that is not wider than 15 degree. Also, in case of implants with wide conical connection, for example, 15 degrees, the author does not recommend placing implants three millimeter below the bone in any situation. Two millimeter or less should be sufficient in those cases. Strawman bone level implant line is an example of an implant with conical connection of 15 degrees. Only implants with more tapered connection, and that is when the walls at an angle of five degrees or less, can be placed as deep as three millimeters. Neodent is an example of an implant system with Grand Moore's tapered connection. Okay, so we talked about subcrestal implant placement and the indications for it. Let's go back to this concept of vertical soft tissue thickness. My training regarding soft tissue management in implant placement was an amazing experience of being at VA Bronx for six months. And the periodontist and general dentist and the oral surgeons there 
highlighted the importance of adequate keratinized tissue for me. And they told me the more, the better. You definitely want to have at least two millimeter is what I can recall in my ears and in my brain. The concept of vertical soft tissue thickness, though, at baseline was new to my ear. This we're talking about keratinized. So, um, okay, so keratinized soft tissue functions as a perio implant seal, which in turn maintain homeostasis of the internal environment in response to challenges from the external environment. Vertical soft tissue thickness refers to the tissues that cover the above of the edentulous ridge. Another term for it is crystal soft tissue thickness. As you may remember, biologic width is the soft tissue version of osteointegration. It's another way of thinking about it. It has three distinct zones. Let's go back to dental school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At Penn, this was really drilled in your head. Muscular <laughs> epithelium, junctional epithelium, and connective tissues. Junctional epithelium is attached to the implant surface via hemidesmosome-like structures, beginning at the base of the perioimplant sulcus and ending with the first fibers of connective tissue zone. Now, this may be a lot of jargon. What does it all mean? Connective tissue, (laughs) basically, based on clinical observation study, biologic width is epithelial attachment, that is 2.14 millimeter, and connective tissue was 1.66 millimeters. Now, what does that mean practically? Practically is that you definitely want to make sure you have three millimeter of keratinized tissue. Where does, where does our understanding of biological width comes from? Well, obviously, clinical observation has really alluded to it. But in the very, very beginning, it came from sacrificing 20 dogs. They found that the earliest evidence of mucosal adherence can be seen as early as two weeks after the implant placement. In the crystal portion of the tissue, proliferation of epithelium had occurred, and the first sign of barrier or junctional epithelium was observed. By four weeks of healing, there was another barrier epithelium had formed and occupied most, most half of the mucosal interface to the titanium. The formation was completed in six weeks, but the maturation continued for another 12 weeks. It is from this research that we learned that the crystal bone position is 3.2 millimeter apical to the soft tissue margins, aka you want to have some vertical tissue mm-hmm. thickness. This is this is amazing data here, and I love it. You know, yeah. if you it gives you so much applicable knowledge on implant placement. So how do we know that the thickness of vertical tissue over the crest matters? Well. Let's look at the clinical study that establishes the importance of vertical thickness. In a clinical study by the author's research team, two implants were placed on the same ridge. The test implant was placed supracrestally and therefore in a thinner vertical thickness tissue, and another implant was placed at bone level. There was 1.35 millimeters of bone loss around the supracrestal implant in this tissue. Now... The question is, would platform switching negate the effect of this thin vertical tissue? Well, in a study with extremely small subjects of six subjects with 12 implants, they placed two implants side by side, one with platform switching and one regular implant in patients with thin soft tissue biotype. And this is when the vertical thickness was less than two millimeter, just a reminder. 
So they found both implants with platform switching and regular connection had 1.7 millimeter of bone loss. So what does that study tells us? It tells us that platform switching on its own cannot help us in the situation that we have thin biotype. Mm-hmm. Yep. Thanks, Miriam, for highlighting that. It's a very important point. In another study, 80 implants were placed in 80 subjects. Half in a group had 2 millimeter or less of vertical soft tissue, and the other half had greater than 2 millimeter of vertical soft tissue. With restoration in two months, which is early loading, and with one-year follow-up, the implants in group one, that is the group with the thin thickness of vertical soft tissue, had more bone loss compared to the thick tissue subgroup by 0.5 millimeters, which was found to be statistically significant. In other words, no bone loss in 85% of patients with thick biotype was observed in one year. Again, this builds the evidence for the impact of thin vertical soft tissue given the presence of platform switching. Also, you know, when we talk about 0.5 millimeter bone loss, it may not sound a lot, but oftentimes we we place 8 millimeter or 10 millimeter length implant and that 0.5 millimeter in one year follow-up could accelerate in the lifetime of that implant too. So it does add up. So the question arises, why is it that the thin biotype leads to bone loss? Unfortunately, there's no definitive answer. But of course, there are several hypotheses. As you may guess, one of the theories has to do with easier bacterial penetration into the thin biotypes. So let's say you you did diagnose the patient with thin vertical thickness of soft tissue. What can you do? Dr. Lenkovicius presents four augmentation methods. One is that you could flatten the alveolar ridge before implant placement. Of course, you have to have sufficient bone for this. Second one is to place your implant subcrestally, as we discussed in detail earlier on in this episode. The third technique is the tent pull technique. This is when you place the implant at the crystal level, but you put a two millimeter healing abutment and close over the tissue primarily. Some healing process happens here. The blood clots will form and consolidate to the connective tissue. After osteointegration, the two millimeter healing abutment can be replaced by appropriately high four millimeter, five millimeter healing abutment to put it in its um, restorative position. That is my go-to technique, by the way. Nice. Lastly, you could do vertical soft tissue augmentation with various grafting technique. Just to get some idea, do you graft soft tissue? (laughs) Have you used any yellow grafts? So my experience with soft tissue grafting has been primarily using alloderm in my larger trauma cases where I don't have, um, I have obliteration of my vestibule and I need to create bone initially. And then I have to augment soft tissue. I I typically use alloderm and um, so far in my hand, at least with alloderm, I do get a lot of soft tissue uh, support and a vestibule depth, but primarily there are, um, they're not keratinized tissue. Uh, so I'm, I'm actually beginning to use the tent pole technique. So if you have more experience, uh, if you don't mind sharing. It, it works great. Honestly, you go for stage two and the implant is completely submerged along with the healing abutment and there's nice, uh, 
amount of soft tissue on top, you know, which gives you more than two millimeters of vertical um, tissue thickness. That's good. Have you tried any other grafting technique? I've been, I actually just uh, ordered Geisler's fibro-osseous membrane, which is supposed mm -hmm. to augment the soft tissue. So um, next time I have a situation, I'm going to try them. Try that out. I have used, um, you know, autogenous soft tissue graft, and of course that works beautifully. Okay, so let's summarize everything really. The vertical soft tissue technique is a newly recognized biological factor that influences the crystal bone stability, and we should start measuring it before implant placement. Our current understanding is that we want at least three, middle, three millimeter of that vertical soft tissue thickness in order to avoid any crystal bone loss during formation of biological width around the implants. And the current data shows that platform switching and conical connection alone don't prevent that cr crystal bone loss if the implants is placed in the thin vertical soft tissue. And finally, it's hypothesized that bone loss occurs as a protective biological mechanism to distance itself from the bacteria. So my question for you guys is that, do you guys measure vertical, uh, vertical tissue routinely in your office? And will you do this after listening to this talk? And let us know how you augment your soft tissue by sharing a post on Instagram or just DMing us. And of course, as always, please leave us a five-star review if you're enjoying this episode and the rest of our episodes. Of course, you know, we don't have any um, personal gain from this, but we try to bring it to you because we enjoy doing this. Yes, nerd through and through. <laughs> <laughs> and let us know what topic you want to hear about next. And if you want to be part of our podcast, please let us know. We are always looking for more help. Until next time, goodbye.